0: Thank you, Jacob. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Yeah, you know the verse, Isaiah 61, so if you will open your Bibles there, Isaiah 61. <clears throat> we'll be reading the first four verses in a moment. Uh, if you're a guest here today for the first time, we are in the fourth of a series we're calling Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. The first week we called the sermon Understanding Suffering in the 21st Century. Second week we talked about the Sovereign End, Suffering God. And uh, last week it was Suffering as God's Gymnasium. The title for this last sermon is the same as the series Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Today we want to explore further God's glory through His comfort for us in suffering, and also how we can provide comfort for others. Some equipping, hopefully. Now in this series, we've seen how shocking it is to modern man that God does not fit into his cultural imaginary, that God did not create the world in order to make men self-fulfilled and self-reliant and to bend the will of the world to themselves. No, God created the world for his glory. We exist to glorify him. And why should all of creation why should we glorify God? Well, God is worthy. The only one worthy, God is sovereign and free. He cannot lie or make a promise. God is perfect and complete. He has no deficiencies, so he cannot be tempted with evil. The Father lived in perfect harmony with the Son and the Spirit for eternity past. He had no need for creation, but he created a dazzling complex, magnificent universe just to show us how great He is. God created it all to display His glory so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate reason for creation. Over these last weeks, we've grappled with the reality that for God's glory, Christians are called to suffer. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow In his steps we're called to turn our pain into praise our wounds into worship however understanding god's sovereignty and embracing the reality of suffering it is it is possible in that to wrongly understand the heart of god in his sovereignty scripture does not reduce faith to fate Does it call for suffering to become stoicism? It is a misunderstanding of the heart and purpose of God to say something like, okay, you're suffering, all right. Well, you know, God's in control. Just resign yourself to your problems and your pain. Trust the Lord, do your best to ignore the suffering. It's just a little workout in God's gym, after all. Buck up, go with the program. Don't you know God has a plan? It 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 can sound like that. Sometimes this idea that we just kind of grin and bear it or grit and bear it. But listen, God is, God is, God is no Stoic. We studied that. We study that. He has deep compassion for his own. And he comes to us as a mighty Redeemer and Deliverer. He is very close to you in the small sufferings of the irritations and troubles of living in a fallen world as well as sometimes the sudden or long, devastating, difficult trials that we sometimes must go through. We'll explore today what I find to be one of the tenderest passages in all the Bible in Isaiah 61, the heart of God is expressed through the voice of the suffering servant as it overflows with compassion and zeal for the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives imprisoned, those who mourn, those with a faint spirit. These sufferers are depicted as living in ancient ruins and generational devastation. All of us look at paying back a generation or two or forward a generation to see ruined, devastated lives and our own families. Even our own generation gives us much cause for mourning and lament in the most prosperous, healthy and free nation of the world and of all time. less we are aghast as we sit in a world with moral devastation and decay and ruin about us. But we do not mourn and lament without hope. No, no, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have eternal life. He who ordained suffering but He Himself suffered for us Suffers with us, this suffering and spirit-filled servant of Isaiah is Jesus Christ, who proclaimed the gospel of freedom, comfort, and gladness to the poor, brokenhearted, bound, mourning, so they will glorify God by building up former generations in devastation, in ruin. We see this truth in Isaiah 61 and in all of Scripture. Jesus came to walk with us through pain and suffering in order to comfort you, deliver you, and equip you to minister the gospel to each other into a lost and dying world. So we'll look at our text in Isaiah 61. The suffering servant is talked about throughout Isaiah is Jesus Christ himself. So these are his words, God's words, to us today. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise, instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. Then they shall raise up the of devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Heaven and Earth will pass away, but God's God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, this is not some theoretical exercise here in theology. Lord, we suffer. We're in a world of suffering. Oh Lord, beauty. You, we see beauty. We see your glory, but but there's nothing in creation that's not tinged and touched and sullied by sin. Suffering. Lord, we need your help. Pray for us here today who suffer. Lord, I pray. This word will encourage every wife whose husband does not lead, does not care, has no tenderness. Every, every husband whose wife resists, rejects. Every, every child who's frustrated by their father, every parent whose heart is broken by a son or a daughter who's rejected them and left the faith and gone off Lives in rebellion, Lord, for those who are sick, for those who are suffering, for those who have broken families, Lord, for those who the struggle of their own sin, the burden of their own brokenness is a daily reminder of their need. Oh, God, we pray that this word today, Lord, in our weakness, in my weakness, Lord, help us. By your spirit, we pray, quicken your word to us. Jesus' name. Amen. So two points today. Comfort from God and comfort for each other. Comfort from God, comfort for each other. We'll look comfort from God to this text. We want to exegete this text kind of verse by verse, line by line, and and we're going to ask it three questions. We're going to ask it why was the Spirit of God on the suffering servant? So the suffering servant of Isaiah, we see it throughout Isaiah, here in verse 61, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, or for, why, what are those reasons? We're gonna see six reasons, verse by verse, that why the Spirit of God was on the suffering servant. Then we're gonna ask ourselves, to what end? So what, okay, that happened, so why? What's the purpose, what? so what? And then we'll ask a third question. Okay, so you have comforted and delivered and freed. So what will the happy poor, the healed of heart, the prisoners set free, the joyful mourners, then do? What's, what's the upshot, Or What's the purpose? What's going to happen? So I invite you to follow us along, follow along in, your, in your text. This will all be online as well. If you care to, to find it, we post the notes online with our sermon that's helpful if you'd like that okay six reasons first reason verse one why was the spirit of god on the suffering servant verse one because the lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor Jesus said it another way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls us to poverty and wretchedness of soul so that we can hear the good news that he died for our sins. Jesus said in the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3:17, For listen, you say you are rich, you have prospered, you need nothing. You don't realize you are wretched, you are pitiable you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. Listen, if we don't come to Jesus, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, he has no good news for us. Jesus looked at the fallen world in sin, lost, enemies of God, and he rescues us. Sin, sick, sinners. Listen, young people, this is for you. This is for you. Listen, communion is not something that we do. Baptism is not a rite of passage. Only sinners, only broken, wretched sinners go into the waters of baptism. They say, look, I deserve to die. They say, I deserve to die. That's baptism. And... uh, brings us to life ah but those who know their poverty such good news such good news Jesus purchased your rich inheritance which he says in Revelation faith like gold refined by fire white garments of righteousness salve for your eyes so you can see God you become kings and priests you are God's friends. Oh, such good news. Such a good news a suffering Savior has for us. Second thing, verse 1 still, to bind up the brokenhearted. To be brokenhearted is to be overcome by grief and despair. Yes, God, God wants our hearts to grieve and despair over our sin. Yes. Yes. That's our, that's our greatest burden. That's our greatest suffering, our own sin. Yet He is moved by all our suffering and pain. He is aware of every rejection. Every rebellion, every hateful word spoken to us, every abuse, every divorce, every absent father, every neglectful mother, every soul sucking sexual sin that plagues your mind, that comes back over and over again, that suffering. He is aware of that. and He longs to gently gather the broken pieces of our hearts, our souls, Our splintered personalities, our defense mechanisms, our flight response, our anger, our hiding, our idols, our brokenness of heart. He wants to gather it. He wants to pour on the balm of the Holy Spirit. He wants to ease our pain by infusing the milk of his word. And he wants to bind us up. His own kindness, God's kindness to you. That's why Jesus came, because we are brokenhearted. His work in your heart is all about healing. Your sanctification is a heart procedure. It's not just about not getting to do what you want to do anymore because you've got to do something different because that's how you do it. now. no, no, no. That's brokenness. That's brokenness. God's healing you. Paul said, and he prayed, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. That work of sanctification is a work of God binding up your heart and healing you. In your suffering, pour out your heart to Him. Trust Him with your heart. He came to bind it up. More than that... Number three, verse one, still, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Oh, listen, there is no better news. Jesus came to sober up alcoholics. He came to detox drug addicts, to purify porn addicts, to deliver the demon-possessed, to break the deadly cycle of self-righteousness that afflicts people of all religions, even the Christian religion, that deadly self-righteousness. Jesus came to deliver you from that. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, right? Power in the blood. Would your evil the victory win? There's life-changing power in the blood of Jesus. He came to set you free. Not just forgive you of your sins, yes that, but to deliver you from your sins. Give you victory. It's a lifelong process, but that's the promise. The fourth thing, number two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Hmm. Jesus identified himself as this suffering servant in Isaiah 61 when he began his ministry. I think it's Luke chapter four. He was baptized. He was driven into the wilderness to be tested by, by the devil. And then he went to his own hometown to present himself as the Messiah. And the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him and he opened to what we call Isaiah 61. He opened this place and he read the passage. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus read it, He stopped at the year of God's favor. He didn't read the rest of the verse that Isaiah said. He did not read, and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't read that. In his mercy, Jesus did not proclaim the day of God's vengeance. That was not his message. His message in that moment was salvation to the poor, to the lost, to the sin sick, to the prisoner, here is the patience and long suffering of our Savior as He suffers the sinfulness of man. He's patient. Second Peter 3 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of his coming, as some count slowness, but is but he's patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We are in, right now, the long year of his favor. We're in a time where Jesus is extending his hands to forgive, to save, to draw, to heal, to comfort. Such long suffering. Really, really, the shocking thing is not, why is there not, why is there so much suffering? The Shocking thing is, why isn't there more? The shocking thing is, that why am I suffering? The shocking thing is, why am I saved? Why would God say I was his enemy? Why would he save me? That's the shocking thing. Well, it's a year of his favor. It's the year of his favor. Number five, verse two, to comfort all who mourn. is the promise I'm specifically clinging to. I have prayed for every one of you, not individually, but for you all. I pray for this day and I said, Oh God, comfort us comfort those who mourn pray that it will teach us to comfort others as well are you mourning today doesn't, have, doesn't mean someone had to have died in your life you could mourn many things loss of innocence loss of youth loss of friendships frustrations of life are you mourning Jesus came to comfort you He grants you three things. Verse three, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This is the great exchange. Your ashes of disgrace for a wedding veil. That's what that beautiful headdress means. It was for a wedding celebration. This beautiful headdress that they would wear as part of a wedding. God plucked you up from the ashes of your sin and made you his bride. He gives you a face shining with gladness in the the place of a face twisted with pain and sorrow. The clothing of praise in the place of weariness and faintness of heart. How is that possible? It is what Jesus came to do. It is what we've been talking about these last three weeks, trusting the sovereignty of our good God, fellowshipping with our suffering Savior, embracing the work of God's gymnasium of discipline, all that over time will produce all that fruit that Jesus came to bring you in Isaiah 6, 61, verse 1 and through 4. He will bring all of that fruit in your life, even in the midst of suffering and pain. Our good God will heal us and deliver us over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Even if some things persist, He is there with us over and over and over again till he calls us home to be with us to be with him forever and there there is healing there is deliverance there we are like him there we see his face and we will become like him but he is here to save and deliver so yes We should pray in faith for healing when we are sick. Yes, we should pray in faith for deliverance. Yes, we should pray in faith for our loved ones to be saved. Our prayers are the outworking of God's sovereignty. That's an important thing to realize. God is sovereign in salvation. He is sovereign in healing. He's sovereign in his actions. But somehow in his economy, he uses our prayers to extend his sovereignty in this world. So yes, pray, yes, believe. But we pray in faith, we pray in humility. We trust his goodwill because we don't see all ends. We pray because he came to comfort those who mourn. Okay, those are the six things that why the Spirit anointed the suffering servant. To what ends? Okay, what does that produce? Look at verse three, two things. That they may be called, kids, what? Kids say the the tree, what kind of tree? Oaks. They're they're drawing. They, They may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Listen, God's work in your life through suffering. God's work in your life is to make you strong, is to establish you, is to make you like an oak tree. Yes, you may have a broken branch. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you're in a fallen world. But he is to build you up. Make you that tree that can provide shade strength and security so he makes you an oak of righteousness the planting of the Lord the second thing that he may be glorified in your suffering God establishes you for his glory that's the reason so so God does that so once that person, once we've been affected by that, what is the next step? What will the poor, happy poor, the healed of heart, the prisoners set free, the joyful mourners then do? Well, verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Listen, this is what it's all about. This is God's kingdom. He, he, we were saved in our sin. He had mercy on us. We were poor in spirit. He covered us, drew us in, saved us, heals us, and He sends us. And we're involved in restoring those ancient ruins and those devastation generations and spreading God's word and seeing people restored, marriages healed, families healed, lives restored. That is the work of the kingdom, O Oaks of Righteousness. That's what God calls us to. Can you say amen? Amen. That's so what. And that's glorious. We see more and more, it's not about me, it's not about my problems and my sin and my suffering. Yes, God loves me and He does that and it's not like to minimize, but it is no, it's about us that God bring us together and empowering us and equipping us and using us. So repairing ruins and former devastations is part of The work of God's comfort through us. Now, God's work of comfort and healing for the hurt and oppressed runs counter to the current emphasis on empathy in our culture as some define it. Today's culture, victimization, has become an identity. So So we live in a very guilt-ridden society, even though for the most part rejected God and his word, rejected the Bible, yet there's this guilt. This guilt, it manifests itself in so many different ways and we've got to find a way to expunge this guilt. So, So if I can find someone who has oppressed me, That's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. I can take that as my identity and that person is worse than I am. So so my guilt is not as bad. My guilt is kind of expunged because that person did this to me. If suffering and oppression is a pit, we're invited into that pit to empathize and affirm the pain or whatever identity the person has chosen for himself or herself. We don't dare suggest they should change. No, no, that's their truth. You do what you do. Well, we look at that and we understand it, and we kind of look at our noses at it sometimes, feel very self-righteous about it, I do. We can slip into that. Our pain can become our refuge. No one, no one's going to help us. No one's going to question us. No one's going to get in. No, this is this is my pain. You can't define it. You can't talk about it. We may accept physical help, but don't dare ask us to change. Don't ask me to look at my heart. Don't ask me to question. So compassion, differing from the from empathy in this definition, they may mean different things in your mind. The empathy I talked about gets down on the pit, just jumps down on there with that person and says, I affirm you in your brokenness. Compassion, I've seen this recently, compassion comes into that pit, puts one foot in the pit, but keeps one foot on the, on the solid ground, holds on to truth, tree of truth, reaches down, sympathizes with the pain, has compassion, then helps bring the person out of that pit. Psalm 103. Let's my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who redeem my life from the pit. So we are called to comfort one another redemptively. So our second main point is comfort for each other. Comfort for each other. The process of Isaiah 61, the comfort process, is summed up very well in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. I think we have it for you on the overhead. It's very much the suffering servant here, God's heart for us here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God the father of mercies the god of all comfort he himself comforts us in our affliction so that so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, the comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Do you know comfort? It came from God. So if you are suffering, you are somewhere in this process. Your pain may be too fresh and raw to provide care for others, but God will get you there eventually. For those who have come through some suffering, well, we are to provide comfort, to help build up the ruins and devastations of the generations. How do we practically do that? How do we practice? We're going to look at some practical steps to provide comfort. We're going to look at, at three don'ts and four do's, three ways we don't. Should it provide comfort? Don't do this if you're trying to comfort. And four things that we should do if we're trying to provide comfort. Um, I'm gonna be quoting from this book, God's Grace and Your Suffering by David Paulison. I've read at least a half dozen books over the last year on suffering, as well as books of the Bible, and um, all of them, very very helpful. I could recommend quite a few if you're interested. But for someone who is going Personally, through suffering. Long term suffering, hard suffering, bereavement. This is the best book I've read. Very practical, very helpful. I'm going to quote from it, uh, a couple of longer quotes from it, I think. And um, those quotes, as I say, will be online if you'd like to see them. If you feel like you're suffering and a book like this would help you and you will read it, if you'll come out to me afterwards. I'll make sure you get one. So, three don'ts. Three don'ts as we're trying to comfort those around us. Number one, don't double the hardship. Don't double the hard. Don't make it worse. So this is a quote from, from Dr. Pollison. He he says it well. I can't improve on it. He says, Doubled hardship is a common experience. A young woman is bereaved of her father, whom she dearly loves. Her friends are initially very supportive, but they get tired of her grief long before her grief is over. They give up on her as a friend. Just, it's too hard to be around her. It's just, just bums me out. Or, Parents of a severely disabled child face lifelong hardships of many sorts. They also face how they are treated by others. Friends and family sometimes distance themselves or or feel awkward, don't don't know what to say, or offer woefully uh, inappropriate help, or, or they just don't want to be bothered. They offer a thousand suggestions and fixes that reveal an utter incomprehension of the realities that that family is going through. Disability is compounded by isolation. The end of that quote we must take care that our helping doesn't hurt listen if someone is in a deep season of suffering maybe it's a long season maybe it's a sudden a recent loss of some kind and they're devastated they're in despair don't pull out Romans 8 to begin with don't say, hey, you know what? All things work together for good. God's called by his purposes. You know, don't, ah, you know, it's going to work out. God's going to help you. Don't say that. Don't, don't say to them, I understand exactly how you feel. Because you don't. Each soul knows its own sorrow, Proverbs tells us. Don't use glib phrases like, you know, you're going to feel worse before you feel better, but, you know, it'll, you'll work through it. Uh, Oh, you know what? It's time to put this behind you. Come on, it's time. Move on with your life. Come on, let's go. (sighs) Definitely not early on. Rather, lament with them. Grieve with them. Just say, I'm so sorry. This must be so hard for you. I'm here. I, I want to listen. Take, take all the time you need. I'll be here. God says, He will never leave us or forsake us. Much of being a comfort to those who suffer is just being with them over the long haul. Listening, lamenting, weeping, grieving, Encouraging. I've not always served well this way, but that's what God calls us to. Second, don't don't try to fix the unfixable. There's another quote from from uh, David Paulison, talking about this making it worse. Here's another way this happens. He says. People who love you often fo- focus exclusively on the problem, the hardship you're facing. They ask you about the problem. They pray that God will solve the problem. They offer advice for solving the problem. They, though they care for you and make it a well-meaning attempt to help, the effect can become quite unkind. They are missing you, the person. I- I've experienced that people, well-meaning, but they just come at, how's the problem? Andy Farmer is a friend and a pastor of Sister Church in Sovereign Grace. He's also a biblical counselor. I heard him say one time, um, you, you can't fix people. Sorry, wives. You can't fix people, but people change can't fix people, people change. So, so we want to go and fix it. Sometimes there's not a fixing it. But there can be change. Some struggles take years or, or decades. Israel wandered 40 years in the desert. All that time God was planning to bring them out. He will bring you out too. Perhaps not all the way fixed. But if you're listening, if you've been listening, he'll bring you out changed. He'll bring you through it changed. When you're walking with someone through pain and suffering, pray for relief, yes, pray for healing, but be slow to speak, quick to listen. Don't let the problem become the center. Don't try for a quick fix. Just help them, help them process change. The third don't, don't be shocked if the sufferer loses a grip or a grasp on God's goodness and the truth of Scripture. Don't be shocked if they seem to lose their theology. Initially Job didn't blame God or sin with his mouth the Bible tells us but over time he began to question God's justice that is very good. God's justice that is very normal listen listen the goal of all this teaching these four series in the teaching of Scripture is to prepare you to suffer because it's coming Sorry. But it's not like when it comes, you'll be able to effortlessly quote all the right verses, accept God's discipline, trust in his sovereignty, keep a plucky grin on your face, all the while singing, our God is an awesome God. You know, you're not just going to float through it like that. Sometimes you're going to freak out. You're going to lose your mind sometimes. You're going to wonder, what happened to me? Why is this going on? And if you're trying to help someone, that may be what you hear from them. Sometimes that dear brother, sister in your community group is going to lose their mind through grief. You want to back off. You want to, all right, that's your, I can't help you. You may hear them say something like, I've served God, gone to church, tried to raise my family of faith. And now this is what I get. This is my thanks for that. I really, this is what this is what it's about. Sometimes early on, yeah, you're you're still in the back, you're still holding the truth, you're you're down there in the mud with them. So early on, you just need to listen, just sympathize. It's it's very hard. I know it's hard. It's very difficult. So sorry. I know how, I know it feels that way. You give them time, but there may come a time if you've walked with them, if you've, if you've earned the right into their lives, if they know you're for them, the time may come when you say something like, you know, I keep hearing you say that. So are, are you saying somehow that by doing those things, You've put God on your debt, so you, you've somehow done something, now God owes, owes you for that? Your good works have, you know, now you've got something on God? Is that is that kind of what you're saying? We're studying this now so we can find their ways back when the crazies begin. Studying this now so we can help each other out of the crazies. Okay, so let's talk about some do's. Do serve them in practical ways. Do find practical ways to serve them. If someone's suffering, and listen, I wanna commend you as a church You do this so well, so many ways. You're quick to provide meals when there's sickness and distress. I remember talking to Melissa Potter one day, some of you may know her. We were just talking and she was just talking about her life and she just was saying so freely, I just love making meals for people, for moms when they're having a baby or when they're sick or there's there's problems going on at home. I just love making meals. I just warm my heart just so spontaneous, and that is the heart of this church. We care for each other through those hard times, and that reflects the heart of the Lord. Sometimes those are quick and easy, but long-term suffering, well, that's the hardest test for us all. I have been so inspired and convicted by the way Paul and Jamie Selby have served over the years, Ray and Lisa Siegert. Loving them, caring for them, providing for them, facilitating care for them, other people as well. Paul, you guys have served so well, served her so well. Is Jamie there? Can't see. She, okay, she's down below, serving, of course. it's what you do, you Selby's, you serve. It takes a long time to walk through things with people. Thank you for doing that. And, of course, Lisa herself. I don't know if you will know Lisa. Lisa was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer a couple of years ago. And I never heard her complain. I'm sure she had her moments. She glorified God. She trusted God. She knew there was no guarantee, but she prayed. She trusted. She glorified God. Oh, that is Gold purchased by fire. Such a glory to God. That is suffering to the glory of God. Grateful to Lisa for that example. When, we, when our friends suffer, it's not unusual for us to say, with meaning, we're well-meaning, listen, let me know. Anything I can do, just you name it, you help me. I'll help you. Let me know. And, and that's not, you know, okay, but what you've done is you've put the burden on the person. They've got to come up with how you're supposed to help them. It's better to say we're going to provide food for you. We'll have meals. was the wheat good enough? Is that going to help? Uh, I'll come over and cut the grass Saturday. Is that okay? Can I do that? What do you need help with the children? I'll get. We'll f- find someone. That's the way you lean in. You you. Anticipate the need. You have a conversation. You figure that out and you offer it to them. Another do, do help them with their souls. Do help them with their souls. Uh, The Lord can redeem our suffering by turning it into godly discipline, we talked about. But sometimes it it is so hard. No suffering, no discipline is a cause for pleasure. All suffering is a cause for pain, the Bible tells us. And it is hard. It is so hard. But God's after our hearts, and so we need help. We need help. We can't often see it ourselves. So, rather than asking about the problem all the time, at the right time, ask some questions like this, and these will be online if you're interested. Things like, these are suggested by David Powelson. How are you doing? How are you? What are you learning? Where are you failing? Where do you need encouragement? How can I encourage you? And look for those ways. How, do you, how are you learning to live well and wisely within your pain or your limitation or your weakness or your loss? Do you feel like suffering is beginning to define you? Is this problem become now just overwhelming. Do you feel like your faith and love are growing, or do you feel like you are shriveling up inside? So again, you, you need to have earned the cred to ask those questions. Based on their answers, then you open God's word together and look for his comfort through scripture. Guess where it comes from. And you help them, think about it. Another do. Do draw them into community. Do draw them into community. So often suffering is isolated. Those who suffer may isolate themselves due to awkwardness, embarrassment, self-pity, anger, fear. Or the suffering itself may make it difficult to engage others for physical reasons. And we need each other. We are called into fellowship. It is the promises in the New Testament are for the gathered church. More so than even for individuals. We need to gather. Sin can be isolating. Suffering can be isolating. So happy to be able to offer this live stream and this, and this video. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you can't be here for different reasons. But if you have, if you allowed suffering or difficulty to isolate you from us, I submit that's not God's best for you. God, we want you here so we can encourage you, so we can love you, so you can encourage us. An isolated Christian is not a biblical Christian. There are those seasons and those times and those difficulties and those sicknesses, and I'm glad we can offer it. The scripture's clear. It's so clear. Let me read to you from Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need that from each other. Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen, listen, suffering, sickness is an attack of the enemy. It's, desi- it's designed is to drive you away from God. Its design is to make you doubt, It's to give you an unbelieving heart, It's to make you question God. That's the reason this' happening on the devil's part. So God says, take care. Don't let that happen. How, does that, how do you do that? Well, yes, you read, you pray, but you gather. You come together, and you encourage, and, we, we're, and we're aware of each other. Here, a community group, that's the purpose of it, because sin is deceitful. And if you're alone, by yourself, you're a target. First Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We need it, guys. We need to build each other up. We need to encourage each other. That's what he calls us to. So do, do draw them into community. The last do, when we're coming along to bring God's comfort to someone, do remind them of the gospel. Do remind them of the gospel. The gospel is the sweetest ointment for the deepest wound. The gospel heals hearts, softens scars, removes fear, removes darkness, strengthens hands, gives peace, summons joy, and turns mourning into dancing. God died for you. Jesus died for you. You may think, why is this suffering happening? Why am I going through this? Why did this person die? Why is this sickness? I can't answer that. But I know it's not because God doesn't love you. God proved his love to you. When you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That is comfort in suffering. God loves me. And here is perfect justice perhaps not the justice that you're asking for. No, no. Hey, God, I don't get it. Why is this happening to me? Haven't I done this? Haven't I done that? Haven't I? Haven't I earned this? do I deserve to be treated better. Why am I? Why is that person who is evil and ungodly having a wonderful life? And here I am suffering. That's not right. That's not just. Oh, listen, we can all suffer that. We see it in the Psalms. But listen, is that the justice you want? Do you want that justice based on what you have done? That justice, you can have that justice if you want it. It will get you eternity in hell and separation from God. Oh, no, that's not the justice you want. You don't want that? No. No. Here's perfect justice. Spotless Savior died for you, to give you his own righteousness, not just to forgive your sins, but to give you the power to vanquish sin in your life, to become more like him every day. That is what Jesus purchased on the cross for you. And if you are suffering, listen, if you're suffering, if you're with someone suffering gently, but but, but continue, it's the gospel. Jesus died for you. He loves you. And not only did he forgive you and empower you, but he gave himself to you. He's your greatest friend. He's your strongest ally. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. And he lives inside of you for eternity. That's Comfort. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your wonderful love for us. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. You don't leave us alone in our sin. You don't leave us alone in our suffering. You you come to us. And Lord, you come to us today. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, yes, bind up the brokenhearted. Comfort those who mourn in our midst. And Lord, equip us to care for others. To take your comfort to those who mourn around us those in our church, those in our families, those in our neighborhoods, those in our communities at work, those who don't know you, Lord. May they feel your comfort and care through us.